despair. Suffering. Despair. Despair. Rejection. Rejection. Poverty. Rejection. Rejection. has an interesting way of making us feel defeated, burying us beneath its struggles, beneath its challenges. But what if all that was broken could be put back together? What if everything that was lost could be found? What if all that was dead could come alive again? Good morning. It is great to see you today. Welcome to Easter Sunday at the Bridge. So glad, so glad, so glad that you are here. Give yourself a hand for getting up and making it to first service this morning. So glad you're here today. And if you're a guest with us, thank you for joining us to celebrate Easter here, the resurrection of our Lord. Got a lot going on this morning, some special things in the service, a lot of special things going on with the kids. It's going to be a great, great day. But today's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday, really, for us. That's what I like to call it. Because this day is all about Jesus. It's all about what he did for us. It's all about what he's provided for us and what he wants to continue to do in our lives. And today... We're going to look back 2,000 years and we're going to remember and celebrate the amazing story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How many of you are alive this morning and grateful that Jesus lives in you? We're grateful for Jesus today. But in order to really obtain a clear perspective on the empty tomb, we must never disconnect from the cause of the death of Jesus, his crucifixion. As a matter of fact, when you start talking about Christianity, there are basically two symbols that define Christianity. One is the cross upon which Jesus died, and we've got a, a cross here on the platform with us today. And then the other symbol would be the empty tomb because Jesus, after his death, three days later, was raised from the dead. And in order to tell the story of Jesus, you can't just tell one story. You have to tell them both together. You have to talk about the cross and then you have to talk about the empty tomb. And today, the next few minutes, I want to talk to you basically about three things. We're going to read in a few minutes from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there in advance today. But I want to talk to you about three things this morning. Number one, first of all, I want us to look at the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. We celebrate his resurrection today, but first of all, we have to look at his death. How did he die? Why did he die? What was the purpose behind it all? The reason we celebrate today is because the tomb is the answer to the cross. We're going to look at that for a few minutes. First of all, as we look at the cross today, I think there are 
several facts that we need to take into consideration. Number one, Jesus was God. He was God manifested in the flesh. If you would, he was God in flesh. He was God in a man's suit. He was all God, but he was all man. And he lived among us, God in the flesh. We also find that Jesus lived his life as a servant. You know, when you think about the life of Jesus, we all know the story of his birth, born of the Virgin Mary. We all know about the wise men, the shepherds, the angels, all that stuff. We celebrate that every Christmas season. But then the story of Jesus goes pretty much silent from the time he's two or three years old until he's 12. And all of a sudden you find him in the temple at Passover time. And then it goes silent again and you don't hear anything about him until he's 30 years old when he begins his ministry. But he lived the life of a servant, even bowing and humbling himself to wash the feet, the dirty feet, the sandaled, dirty, dusty road feet of his followers. We also find that Jesus lived a sinless life, which was God's requirement because everything that was typed in the Old Testament, all the typology, all the symbols that you see in the Old Testament about sin sacrifice, Jesus had to fulfill all of that. So when they required a sinless, spotless lamb in the Old Testament, Jesus had to be the sinless, spotless, blemishless lamb as he lived in his day. And he lived the sinless life, God's requirement for a sacrificial lamb. Because you see, in the Old Testament, when someone would bring a lamb to be offered for their sins, it had to be spotless. And the priest would not look at the individual and their sin. He would look at the purity of the sacrifice that they brought. When God looks at us today, he doesn't look at our sin. He looks at the purity of Jesus Christ, the one who's been sacrificed for our sin. Jesus laid down his life. Some people think it was taken from him. Jesus said, nobody can take it from me. I lay my life down for my people, for those who would believe. He was even given the ability to call 10 legions of angels to come and deliver him, but he chose to lay down his life, to suffer and die, to pay the price, the payment for my sins, your sins, all of our sins, all who would believe on him. Jesus died the horrible, torturous death of crucifixion on the cross. I don't want to take too much time with the story this morning because our time is limited, but to understand what Jesus really did in his death, we realize that he was taken over under the cover of darkness. He was arrested. He was put through a mock trial. He was accused of blaspheming God when indeed he was God. And after that mock trial and the people cried out for Barabbas and they cried to crucify Jesus, they took him and they stretched him out upon a large stone and bound his hands and his feet. They stripped his clothes away from him. And then those big Roman soldiers walked up with what they called a, a cat of nine tails. It was a whip with nine leather straps. And at the end of each strap, there was metal, there was glass, sharp objects attached. And those Roman soldiers were allowed to put 40 lashes on the back of a victim. But if they put more than 40, then they themselves would suffer the same lashing. So it was their practice to only put 39 stripes upon the back to make sure they didn't go beyond the limit. 
And 39 times those Roman soldiers slapped those leather uh, uh, pieces of that strap, those leather straps across the back of Jesus and yanked it away and the, and the muscle and the flesh was ripped away from his back and around his sides as those straps wrapped around him. 39 times it's been told that many, many victims those who were going to be crucified on the cross never got to the cross because the whip got them and took their lives before they could ever get to the cross. 39 times Jesus took lashes on his body to pay for our healing, our physical wholeness, and our physical health. And then after they put those lashes upon his back in that beaten, broken condition, they took a crown of thorns with large thorns about two inches long and they pressed it into his skull and they laughed at him and said, here, king, here's your crown. And then they put a purple robe upon his back and said, why don't you parade yourself as the king you claim to be? And then to add insult to injury, they laughed. They mocked him. They spit on him. They hit him with their fists. And then they took the clothes off of him, threw the cross upon his back and said, carry it out of the city to the top of Golgotha's hill, the place known as the skull, where you'll be crucified. With each step, physically, mentally, emotionally, his life is draining away. But he carries that cross until he begins to stumble beneath the load. After compelling another to finish the journey to the top of the hill, they take Jesus and they stretch him out upon that cross and they put nails through either his wrists or his hands between the bones, nailing him to that cross. And then they put those big spikes through his feet and then they dropped that cross in a hole and raised him up, waiting for him to die. You see, with crucifixion, what normally happened was people died of suffocation. Because they would be hung on that cross and the weight of their bodies as they grew weaker and weaker and as their blood drained away, the weight of their bodies would become so heavy that they would have to push up to get a breath. But when their legs became weak and their body became weak, they could no longer push up and they would die of suffocation, lack of oxygen on that cross. But Jesus hung there, suffering, bleeding, dying, paying the price for our sins. Before we look to the empty tomb, we need to stop and realize how he died. We need to realize why he died. Finally hanging on that cross, Scripture says that all the sins of all mankind, all the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, collectively all of our guilt was thrust on Jesus. And when God looks on sin... From above, God does one of two things. He judges it or he shows mercy. But in order to show mercy to you and to me, God turned his head away and God judged his son. Everything that was wrong with us was put on him that day and God turned his head away. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. You and I would never be forsaken. And then in that moment, Scripture says he took his final breath and he hung his head and said, it's finished. A little bit later, the Roman soldiers came around and it was the custom that they would come around and see if the victim was still alive. 
And if the victim was still breathing and still able to push up and gain oxygen, they would break the victim's legs. But to fulfill prophecy, when they came to Jesus, they found they believed he was already dead. There was no need to break his legs, break his bones. But they took a spear and thrust it through his side. And scripture says, blood and water mixed together gushed out, which doctors tell us that blood and water rushing out together is a sign of a ruptured, broken heart. That's the death that Jesus died. That's the punishment he took. Not his punishment, but our punishment for our sins. But all of this was God's plan. It was God's plan of salvation. Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, the prophecy said that it pleased God to do this to his son for our sake. And as Romans 8 tells us, it opened the door for you and I to become the sons, the daughters of God. Amazing story. And I always have to stop and think about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him and what he did on that cross would not perish, but we could have eternal, everlasting life. That was the plan of God. And then they took him and they laid him in the tomb. And for three days they waited because of religious holidays and the Sabbath and so forth. But on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb expecting to find him in the tomb and hoping to anoint his body properly. When they got there, they found that the stone, even with the Roman soldiers watching, the stone had been rolled away and Jesus was gone. Scripture said he not only in the next several days appeared to his disciples and his close followers, he appeared to as many as 500 people at one time. As a matter of fact, if you check it out, there's more historical evidence for the life and the death of Jesus than there is for the life of Julius Caesar. Much has been written about him. But let's turn our attention for a few moments and let's stop and think about the cross and what it really means to us today. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 tells us that Jesus was delivered up, put on the cross because of our offenses, but he was raised from the dead because of our justification. You know what that means? Literally, it means God made it just as if we never sinned because of what Jesus did on the cross. L let me put it to you this way. The resurrection... The empty tomb sends a message to us today and every single day of our lives. Every day for eternity. And the message is God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus had to be the sinless, spotless lamb or that sacrifice could never be accepted. But because God accepted the sacrifice on the cross, three days later, he raised him from the dead. And God said, accepted. It's all okay now. Let me illustrate this to you if I could. Yesterday afternoon, I went into a store. Actually, I went into two or three different stores running some errands. As I went into one of the stores, I went up and purchased several items. And when I got to the checkout stand, 
I had to pay for those items because they wouldn't let me take them out of the store. There was a price for the payment of those items. And so when they told me how much it was, I reached into my wallet and I pulled out my debit card. Anybody here in the house got a debit card? Or is everybody running on credit card today? I pulled out my debit card and I swiped it through the machine and I waited. And then it said, enter your PIN number. And I entered my PIN number to identify who I was and whose bank account it was and who it was that was paying this bill. And I waited about five seconds and all of a sudden it lit up on the machine. Approved. Let me tell you, when Jesus Christ came out of that tomb, God's stamp of approval was put on him. And God said, I approve of this payment. It's good forever and ever and ever. Your sins and the price of your sins, it's all gone. For some people, that's the story of the resurrection. For some people, that's it. Okay, Jesus bled, Jesus died, he was raised from the dead. So someday we can have life eternal. But there's more to the story. Number two, I want us to take just a, a couple of minutes and I want us to look at the ministry of Jesus. Those three years or so when we find the most written about his life. First John chapter 3 verse 8, John said, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Could we stop for just a moment and understand today that the reason Jesus came to earth was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to this earth to end the rampage that sin held over our lives. He came to this earth to turn everything around, to make everything different, to liberate us into a different kind of life and a different kind of living. Jesus came to stop the destruction of the devil. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave us a contrast. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, Satan, the thief, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Do you know what that means today? Do you understand the meaning of those words, more abundantly? In the original writings, what it literally means is superabundant. It means supernatural abundance. It means that God can be involved in our lives every single day, every single moment. And when we run out of what we need, his superabundance will show up to meet, that we, to meet the needs that we cannot meet under our own power and our own strength. And Jesus said, this is the kind of life I've come to give you. Satan wants to rip it all away, but I've come to give back to you everything that Satan has destroyed. I've come to give you a God-filled, God-empowered life. And I mentioned we're going to read from Isaiah 61. If you've got a Bible, turn to Isaiah 61. If you don't, it's okay. We're going to have the verses on the screen. But I want you to read along with me because here's the setting. In the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesied of what the Messiah would do, what he came to accomplish, what his mission would be, and why God would send him. After Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, he launched into his ministry. And scripture says he went in the power of the spirit. And the first thing he did was he went into his own hometown and he went into the temple, the synagogue on the Sabbath day, picked up the book of the law and he began to read those words from Isaiah 61. And this is what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. 
Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. But then he went on in the next verse, verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We'll talk about that later. And the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them, notice these words, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. This morning I want you to stop and think about the words that Jesus said. Written hundreds of years earlier, when he began his ministry, he said, this is who I am and this is what I've come to do. God's spirit is upon me for a purpose. Every person in this room today needs to understand that cross and that empty tomb, it's all for a purpose. And it's all about you. And it's all about me. God is all about people. Jesus said, I've come to bring good news to those who are hopeless. He said, I've come to heal those whose hearts have been broken. He said, I've come to liberate those who are living and dying in captivity. He said, I've come to comfort those who've suffered loss and are living in a hopeless time of mourning. What Jesus said was, for those who are living in circumstances where they look around and say, it's always been this way, and I guess it will always be this way. I guess it's never going to change. I am trapped. Jesus said, if you feel like you're trapped by the circumstances of life, I have come to change it all for you. That's my purpose. That's why I've come. Notice what Jesus said he would do for us. He said he would replace our mourning with joy wouldn't it be great to get out of bed in the morning and stop hurting inside wouldn't it be great to get out of bed in the morning and look at life and realize that things are going to be better today and tomorrow than they've ever been before because God is on our side Jesus said I've come to bring that kind of joy into your life he also said I've come to replace the heavy burdens with the freedom of praise wouldn't it be great to live life looking up to heaven saying, thank you, God, for all that you've done and all you continue to do for me? That's what Jesus came to do. Literally, he said he would completely transform our lives. And he would exchange. He would exchange. Get the word. He would exchange. That's what the cross is all about. It's a great exchange. All of our failure, all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our wrong choices, even our rebellions knowingly, our rebellions against God, it was put on Jesus and exchanged for his beauty. The ashes that I lived in, the mess I had made of life, it could all be thrown on him and he would change it all and give me his fullness, his life, and his beauty. That's what it's 
about. Those words were certainly true. I mean, Jesus, Jesus spoke it and said, that's what I've come to do. You watch those three years of ministry. You watch what's written. Those words were true for hundreds and thousands of people. At the end of his gospel, John wrote the words and said, if everything Jesus had done in his ministry had been recorded, the world couldn't even contain all the books. What we read in the gospels is only a fraction of what Jesus came and what he did. Here's what I want you to notice. Just stop and think for a moment. Think about that woman taken in the act of adultery. She's trapped. Oh, yeah, it was a trap of religiously. You're sure it was. But nevertheless, she's caught in her sin. She's brought in. The law says she should die. The law says we should stone her. She should lose her life. And they brought her to Jesus naked, threw her in the dirt at his feet and said, are we going to kill her or not? And Jesus said, yeah, let's kill her. Let's put her to death. Let's stone her right now. But whoever among you has no sin, you throw the first stone. And Jesus began to write in the dirt. We don't know for sure what he wrote. But one by one, they began to turn and walk away because everyone realized, I can't throw the sin. I can't throw the stone because I've got sin in my life. Until finally the only one left is just Jesus and her. And Jesus, the sinless one, the only one who was really qualified to throw stones, said, woman, where are your accusers now? And she said, there are none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I'm going to wash it all away, give you a new life so you can go and sin no more. I guarantee you, for that woman that day, the words of Jesus, they were good news. Or I, I think about Jesus releasing her into a brand new life, changing everything. Let me tell you another story. There's a story in the Bible about a, a man who lived among the tombs. He lived out in the graveyard. He was a madman. He was crazy. He would take rocks and sharp objects and cut his own body, trying to destroy his own life. They wouldn't let him live in town. He had to move away from his family because he lost it all mentally. He was gone. Scripture says he was demon-possessed. He lost control of his faculties. The devil had taken over him. As a matter of fact, if you asked him his name, he'd said, my name is Legion because there are many demons living in me. One day, Jesus sailed into the, the little village there by the lake got off the boat and walked into town, and as he entered the town, this man, Legion, came running out of the graveyard naked and fell down at Jesus' feet and asked for mercy. In a few moments' time, Jesus commanded the demons to leave him and totally liberated him and separated him from an old life, and then he let him have a brand new life. And the Scripture says the next thing you see from this man known as Legion, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus just like everybody else. His life had been changed forever. The words that Jesus spoke that we read earlier, his mission, his purpose, what he came to do, it was good news for that man who was known as Legion. When Jesus got ready to leave his village, Legion said, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, you stay here and live among these people a normal life and be a testimony of my strength, my grace, and my power. Those words were certainly true back then, but those words are also just as true for hundreds of people sitting in this room today 
who've experienced the power of God. From section to section, row to row, if we had time this morning, people could stand up and say, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you where I was when I came to the cross. Let me tell you about the ashes, the mess of my life. Let me tell you how it was, but let me tell you how it is now because Jesus has changed my life. I've experienced the cross, but I now live in the life of the resurrection of Jesus. Those words of Jesus still ring true today for anyone, for everyone who will open their heart and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. The promise of Jesus is this, by his spirit, by his spirit, I can rise from the ashes of defeat because the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Day by day, his grace, his power, his life is changing me, making me more like him, showing his life in every day that I live. When Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't come to change some things. He comes to change everything everything I can tell you firsthand in my own life about the resurrection power of God what he's done for me where I where I was along the journey the mess I made along the way and the way he came in when I said God I need you and took the ashes swept them away and began to change everything resurrecting me one day at a time day after day after day and i live my life today just like hundreds of people in this room day to day live my life seeing god resurrecting everything in me and then finally the third thing we talked about the cross we talked about the resurrection talked about his ministry but let's talk about the resurrection and you or if you would make it personal and just say the resurrection and me what does it mean to me today oh we've already talked about the fact that the, the resurrection put God's stamp of approval on Jesus and said I accept this sacrifice everybody can partake of this life we've already talked about that but you ever stop to wonder you know, the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's an historical event. Happened 2,000 years ago. But yet we celebrate it every single year. We may not have the day just right, but nevertheless, we celebrate it every year. Can, can I go one step beyond that? For people who've experienced the life and the power of God, we don't just celebrate it every single year. We celebrate it every single day of our lives. Think about that. Because it's not just resurrection, past tense, power. It's not just resurrection power for that day. It's resurrection power for eternity. It's forever and ever. It's for my life every single day. This life resurrects things that have been stolen by the enemy. Why do we celebrate the resurrection year after year and day after day? Well, it, it's an historical event, but it's not about the past. 
It's about right now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day throughout eternity because the resurrection is alive. You know, Paul in Philippians 3 made this statement. He said, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know God. I want to know all I can learn about him. But in those words, he also said this, I want to know. I want to experience. I want to know all about the power of the resurrection. He said, I want to live my life, not in the past, not in a past experience. For Paul, it would have happened on the road to Jericho. He said, I don't want to live in that past experience. I want to live every day growing in the knowledge of the power of the resurrection because I want God to just keep resurrecting me into new things and new blessing every day of my life. Truth is, God knows you. He knows all about your life. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows everything. And he cares. He cares about right where you are. He's not wanting to keep score. He doesn't want to talk about all the things that got you there, all the bad choices, all the mistakes. He simply cares about where you are because he wants to start resurrecting everything about you. He wants to change everything. The resurrected king today wants you to know he wants to keep resurrecting you into full, new life. And finally, we're talking about the open tomb and what it means to me, what it means to you right now. What does it mean? Three times in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, if you don't know it, it's, it's a book in the New Testament. Three times in that book, at least, it says that Jesus finished his work on earth and he's sat down at the right hand of God. He finished his work here, he ascended to the Father, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And in Hebrews chapter 7, it says this, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Can I tell you what Jesus is doing today? He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's looking down on each and every one of us, and he's pulling for us. He's rooting for us, and he's wanting to bring us to a place of surrender where we say, God, I can't do it by myself. I need your help where we acknowledge who he is and what he is, where we say, God, I need everything you did on the cross and I, think, I need everything that's available to me in that open tomb. I need resurrection, but I also need resurrecting each and every day. And then he sends forth his spirit to bring us to the understanding, to tug on our hearts until we open our hearts and say, God, come in. I need you. Jesus is concerned about where you are today and what's going on today. A little bit further on in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I'm almost finished with my message this morning. But can I tell you that God is still doing today what he was doing 2,000 years ago? 
There's testimonies all over this room about the power and the grace and the goodness of God. There are stories to be heard all across this room about his resurrecting power. But I want to tell you one quick story. Several years ago when I was pastoring in another state, there was a man in our church who was living in turmoil. He was living in torment. He'd had a very, very, very difficult life. A lot of things had happened totally beyond his control. And he carried that baggage into adulthood. When he was born, his mother died at birth. His dad couldn't handle the pressure. His dad was broken because of his wife's death. And there was nobody in the family close to raise this little boy. And so dad took him to one of his aunt's homes where actually two of his aunts lived together. They were quite old, quite elderly, didn't get around too well. He dropped this little baby off and then just took off and disappeared for a long period of time, literally for years. And this baby was left alone to be raised by two elderly aunts who couldn't stay up with him. And as he became a toddler and began to get around and began to walk and began to run, they couldn't anywhere near stay up to him. And then for those of us who's, who've raised children, we know what it's like. I mean, when it's time to feed those kids, they make a mess of that food. Can I get 17 amens in the house today? I mean, children can be a mess, when, especially when they're little. But these elderly aunts were so frustrated because this boy had been dropped off on them. And he began to pick up their rejection. He began to carry his father's rejection. And he began to sense in his heart, nobody wants me. I don't have a mother. And my mother died because of me. And finally, his aunts got so frustrated, cleaning up after him, that when it came time to feed him, they would put his food on a tray and put him out in the backyard, let him eat out of a bowl like a dog because they didn't know how to take care of him. He was so quick that there were a couple of occasions where the front door was left open and he darted outside and they spent hours trying to find him and finally someone would bring him home and he'd been running down the streets just as a little guy, just trying to find somebody who knew something about life. He was raised with that guilt. He was raised with that rejection. Nobody wanted him. Became a young man, went to college, tried to make something of his life, actually became a, a, a professional. Started making a good living, got married, started his own family, but he married someone just as dysfunctional as himself. This whole world began to fall apart and the marriage began to crumble. He came to our church, started attending, started seeking God. Now, what's this guy in service just weep out of his hurt and out of his pain because he had so much of a heap of ashes and he was trying to find the beauty in Christ. And one Sunday morning, I don't know what happened, I don't have any idea, but something triggered in his heart. Then the next week, on a Sunday, he came to me and he said, can I, can I give you something? I have something I want to give you. I said, sure. So I walked back to my office, he followed me back and he said, I got to get it out of my car. He went to his car and he came back in carrying a shotgun. And he said, can I give you this shotgun? Can I give this as a gift to you? I said, sure, I'd, I'd be honored to receive it. 
And he began to cry and he said, I want to give this to you because it's a testimony of what God has done in my life. Because I've carried all this desperation for all these years. He said, this past Friday night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I pulled out the gun, I loaded it with shells, I put it up to my chin, and I was ready to end it all. And I just said, God, forgive me and God help me. And he said, as I went to pull the trigger, all of a sudden, God just walked into the room and absolutely overwhelmed me. And he said, I can't tell you what happened, but all I know is everything inside that was wrong left. Everything that was inside began to change. Everything that was so ugly was just swept away. And suddenly I began to see that God created me for a reason. God created me for a purpose. There was a life ahead of me worth living. And if I would just trust him, everything was going to be okay. Can I tell you that 30 years later, God has put all the pieces of that guy's life back together. He has lived an amazing life. God's given him an amazing family. God's worked miracles as a testimony of what happens when the resurrected king begins to resurrect us. And the very final thought. One of the things that Jesus said in those verses of Scripture from Isaiah 61, Jesus said... I've come to share with you that there's an acceptable year of the Lord. Those words don't really ring in our heart because we don't understand the, the religion of the, the Jewish system. But it spoke of the year of Jubilee when all debts were forgiven, all debts were released. It was God's acceptable time to release people from their bondage. All throughout society, debts were forgiven. Everything was released. And here's the beauty of it. I'm almost finished, so listen closely. Jesus said, I've come to declare that the time of God saying, approved, I accept the sacrifice. Now, here is the life that changes everything. The time is now. As I finish this morning, I want to make this a very personal moment. No distractions. Please, no one moving unless it's an absolute emergency. But I want us to take this time and I want us to make this moment about you and God. You've heard a message of what God wants to do for you. I want to ask you today to take a moment, look at your own life, and be honest and answer the question, what needs to be resurrected in me what does God need to do in my life that I cannot do in myself what's going on in your life today do you know the power of the resurrection or is it just a, a story maybe you believed it maybe you've been a philosophical believer but you've never experienced it in your heart you've never really opened your heart and said okay God I need you come in you've never given God an opportunity to resurrect things that have died maybe you're living in mourning maybe you're living in a pile of ashes maybe you look at your life today and maybe you realize a lot of bad decisions. Maybe you didn't mean for those decisions to be bad, but they just didn't work out. Maybe you get out of bed in the morning and you wish you had somebody else's life. Can I tell you today that God wants to change everything because the resurrected king is here to resurrect new life in you. You've heard the message this morning. And I want to ask you to do something with me.
just you and God. I want you to listen to these words this morning. Have a moment with him and let him talk to you right where you are. Resurrect. 
was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the morning I spent several minutes telling you about the cross the resurrection and what it means to us today the only thing left to do is for us to open our hearts and say God I need you maybe you're here today and maybe you've never ever done that or maybe you're here and you know you, you once opened your heart to God but you kind of went your own way and walked away you know what the only thing God is looking for today is somebody who will say God I need you it's not about having a degree in theology. It's not having somebody with a PhD behind their name to explain to you how to touch God. It's a matter of God knocking on your heart and right now it's happening all over this room. And us just saying, yes, God, I need that. Whatever your need is today, physical, spiritual, material, mental, domestic, the resurrected King wants to begin resurrecting things in your life. He wants you to experience the victory of that open tomb. So I want to pray for you today. Here's what I want to ask you to do. 
in your own way, if you want God's help right where you are, if you want to know God, or maybe you know God and there's things going on, you just need God's help, I want you to open your heart in your own way. Just open your heart to God. Say, God, I need you today. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, all over this room today, there are people opening their hearts to you, maybe for the first time or maybe just in the middle of a difficult situation, needing something to be resurrected and changed. God, I pray today that we would experience the resurrection power of Jesus. We would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. God, I pray right now all across this room as people begin to open their hearts to you, that we de declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and we believe he died for our sins and you raised him from the dead. And right now we come to a place of faith where we say, God, I need you. Change everything. Change everything. Let me experience your victory and your power in the name of Jesus. Now, for just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something. Maybe a little awkward for you. You don't have to do it if you're uncomfortable. But I'm going to ask everyone who would to just lift your hands to heaven in your own way. Just say, thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you for all you're doing in my life, resurrecting me. I thank you in Jesus' name. Let's just praise him for a moment. Can we do that together? Father, we give you praise. Father, we glorify you. We magnify you in this house. You're a wonderful God. You're a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful God. Be seated this morning one more time. And before we change the order of things, we'll be finished in just, just a couple of minutes. So hold your seats because I want to tell you just a couple more things. If you opened your heart to God, Maybe it's the first time you've ever said, God, I need you. Maybe you've heard the message today and you've responded to it and you've been away from God. Whatever the situation is, we feel like it's our responsibility to help you get started, not just praying a prayer, but help you get started walking with God, building that relationship. And to do that, we've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days, and we want to give it to you because I promise you it will help you begin your relationship with God. There's two ways you can get it today. When we're finished in a few moments, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're just here to pray with people for any need you might have. But if you just walk down to one of these prayer teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. If you want to visit, great. If you want prayer for something, great. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. We want to put it in your hand. Or if you're in a big rush, you can go to the Connection Center right in the middle of our lobby. Just walk up there and say, can I get the booklet the next seven days? If you forget the name, they'll know what you're looking for. Say, can I get the booklet they talked about? We'll give it to you right there. I promise you, it's just a little bit of reading for the next seven days to help you understand how much God wants to be involved in your life. So please, let us give that to you today. And for those who open their heart to God and either started a relationship or rebuilding that relationship, can we put our hands together and welcome them to the family of God right now? Greatest decision you'll ever make.